The Bakari Sellers Podcast tackles the most pressing current events through conversations and interviews with high-profile guests. Building upon his experience in South Carolina government and politics and his experience as a lawyer, Sellers will talk to his guests about all topics from the world of politics. Check out the Bakari Sellers Podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash! Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies' splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. <laughs> Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. What if I told you you could get a big snack almost anywhere for less than five bucks? Let's talk 7-Eleven's $3 big meal deal with seven rewards. Big meal deal is a big bite hot dog, a large big gulp drink and you won't find a better snack deal anywhere else. Here's what I put on my hot dog. Mustard. And that's it. That's it. I love a hot dog with mustard. Maybe if the chili, if I'm feeling it, if I'm feeling crazy, maybe a little chili, maybe a little nacho cheese, but I'm a hot dog and mustard guy. But if that sounds like your kind of bite, visit 7-Eleven, valid through 1725. 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early. Plus tax, applicable on large Big Gulp only. Participating U.S. stores only. See app for full terms. All rights reserved. Hello, media consumers. Brian Curtis here, along with Erica Cervantes, with an emergency edition of the Press Box. Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, announced his resignation Tuesday one week after a state attorney general's report found he had sexually harassed 11 women. Cuomo said he took, quote, full responsibility for his actions, even as his lawyer tried to cast doubt on the AG's report. Let us bring on New York Magazine reporter David Friedlander, who has been writing about what turned out to be Andrew Cuomo's final days. David, thanks for coming on the Press Box. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You didn't think you were going to get a vacation after covering the New York City mayoral election, did you? No! No, of course not. There's always something in this town that keeps you from whatever it is you want to be doing with your life, you know? Five days ago, I was reading a piece you published, and you quoted an aide to Andrew Cuomo who was pretty definitive. The aide said he is not resigning. It is just not in his nature to ever do that. What do you think changed between then and now? So, yeah, I think what happened was, um, I mean, I think they wanted to stay in office and they wanted to fight. Um, but it really became clear that he didn't, he didn't have any allies left in the legislature. Uh, the state assembly, which is the sort of equivalent of the House of Representatives, um, where it's sort of impeachment proceedings were going to begin. Uh, there was just no one there who was really willing to negotiate with them, buy him any more time, really give him much of a hearing. And so they were moving to impeach him. And I think they just found that, you know, there was not a lot that could be done. I saw the New York Times' Maggie Haberman tweet this. If you have covered Andrew Cuomo even for a short time, it is stunning that he's stepping down instead of fighting something out. What do you make of that? I think that's exactly right. I mean, Andrew Cuomo is such a political animal. He's someone who against the advice of everyone in the state, ran for attorney general in 2002. Um, sorry, ran for governor in 2002. Uh, ended up dropping out a week before the primary in a kind of humiliating fashion. Uh, and four years later, he was elected attorney general. Four years after that, he was elected governor. He's really ruled the state kind of with an iron fist. Um, he's, you know, 
boxed out his his enemies. He's well, he's kind of boxed up his allies too. He doesn't really have any of those left. Um, and he's someone for whom just you know politics is in his blood. Uh, and I think that this was very hard for him uh, to finally give in here. And I you know somehow don't think we've seen the last of Andrew Cuomo. I would be very surprised if this is the the sort of the, the end of his political career somehow. So I've seen that theory going around on Twitter today that he is resigning rather than letting himself be impeached so that he could possibly run for another office. And you think that's possible? I mean, if you've ever known Andrew Cuomo, I mean, he's the most sort of strategic political person you'll ever meet who's always kind of playing all the angles and figuring out everybody else's strengths and weaknesses. Um, If he were impeached, if he went through with the impeachment and fought it all the way to the end, the impeachment would have included an article that said he could never seek uh, state office again. By resigning, there will be no impeachment. So that will never happen. Um, he will. He still has more money than anybody else in his campaign account in the state. Um, and I don't think he has so much that it's hard to imagine anyone matching what he has. I mean, he'll have $20 million heading, in, heading into next year. He has the most famous name in New York politics. He was governor for 10 years. Uh, his father was governor for 12 years. Um, so, you know, it's, just, it's, I mean, what's, it's like, what's Andrew Cuomo going to really do? Go, go practice law somewhere? I mean, start a nonprofit? You know, he's just, he's a political person and political people tend to run for political office. I mentioned at the top, Letitia James, the New York Attorney General, she released that report one week ago, which set today's events in motion. What struck you most about that report? I got to say, I, when I did not think that report was going to be the bombshell it was. And it was like, it was a nuclear blast. Um, uh, you know, a lot of the allegations that were included in it, I think we already heard um, back in March when they were first came to light. Um, but I think that one really crucial detail that, that uh, report had was it had details of Andrew Cuomo sexually harassing a state trooper who was assigned to his protective detail, making comments about the way she looks, talking to her about her her love life, um, touching her inappropriately uh, at various moments, um, which he claimed were incidental, but but certainly didn't seem that way. And I think even some of his sort of closest aides and advisors were kind of quite, um, they were taken aback that allegation. I think that was unexpected. And and then the other part of it was just how much the office was engineered around sort of protecting the governor, retaliating against his accusers. Um, these are people who are supposed to be kind of doing the people's work. And it seemed like they were mostly there to protect the boss. And I want to I want to come back to state trooper number one as she was identified in the report because I think reading those sections of the report really helps you understand that this is not a story of politics so much as a story of sexual harassment. Again, you mm-hmm. mentioned some of the allegations, just, just running down the list here. These are, these are some of the a partial list of the things she said Andrew Cuomo did, running his hands along her body, asking to kiss her, inviting her upstairs at the, gover- at the governor's mansion, asking why she didn't wear a dress on duty. Uh, quoting here from the report, asking her to help him find a girlfriend and describing his criteria for a girlfriend as someone who can handle pain. The woman, Mm. according to the report, feared retaliation and believed her career success hinged on whether the governor liked her. So one thing Cuomo said today was, look, I didn't think I was crossing the line, 
He said, quote, I didn't realize the extent to which the line has been redrawn, meaning that standards of behavior have changed. There's no way you can read those allegations one after another and think that in any universe, at any time, that would not have constituted sexual harassment. It's really stunning. I mean, I, I cannot imagine why you would ever talk to an underling uh, four decades younger than you, two decades, four years younger than you, four months younger than you about her sex life, which is what Andrew Cuomo was doing uh, with a very young woman who was working as an assistant uh, for him. Now, like you could argue as the Cuomo people did, well, look, that's kind of creepy, but does it really rise to the level of impeachment? Uh, fine. But like, I mean, what are you doing? Why are you having this conversation with this person uh, under any circumstances? What did you make about the way Cuomo resigned today, sending out his lawyer to essentially say, oh, this is a media frenzy and challenging some of the allegations in the report and then coming on essentially and resigning anyway? Stunned. I mean, stunning. And, and you know, and it's, it, it sort of speaks to Andrew Cuomo, how he's always kind of strategizing and, and trying to be one step ahead of his opponents. And I, I don't know quite what the one step ahead would be in this instance. But yeah, I mean, it was really kind of shocking. His uh, his attorney comes out, rebuts the allegations point by point. Uh, and it's not a press conference. It's just sort of streamed online. He comes out then in a sort of separate live stream and reiterates many of the things that, that she said and accuses it all of being political, you know, saying he's learned his lesson, that this is not fair. What are the, what about the motivations of his accusers? And then, you know, kind of quickly pivots and says for the good of the state, uh, this is going to be too expensive and too divisive. And so, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to step down. And the message he's trying to send is I didn't do it, but I'm stepping down anyway. That is what he is. That was what he was saying today. Exactly. And it's a little bit, I thought it's a little bit like I'm leaving, but I'm not going anywhere, uh, was, was, was my read on it. I'm leaving, but I am innocent, um, of this. Uh, and I, I care too much about the state, uh, for, for, you know, the state to be dragged through these whole proceedings. Um, but it was, it was really quite, quite stunning. I mean, I think that if you were sort of, you would kind of be forgiven if you were listening for just sort of ceasing to pay attention because, so much of it just seemed kind of repetitive uh, to what we heard before. And because he had been so defiant uh, in the face of calls from his step down up until now. You were reporting inside Cuomo World after the report came out a week ago. What was the initial feeling like inside the governor's mansion with his aides about what their next steps were and what was going to happen? I mean, I think they were determined to fight. I think they were determined to sort of have this go on for as long as they could, as long as they had life in them. I think they were very aware that there was a very, very limited chance that he could survive this, that public opinion was just moving too quickly against them, uh, that, the, that the lawmakers were moving too quickly against them. But that said, I think there was also a feeling that this was just not fair, um, that he hadn't, um, you know, maybe he was crude. Maybe he had come on the people in a way that was crude, but he hadn't done anything like Donald Trump was accused of. Has done anything like Bill Clinton has admitted to. You know, uh, he didn't sort of. He was sort of, if he touched somebody, it wasn't. You know, I mean, uh, this is actually not probably accurate, but it wasn't in a kind of aggr- too aggressive of a way. Um, and that all of this was just blown up. 
and, and that they just kind of couldn't get uh, a hearing and they were determined to get their side of the story told, which is kind of what they did today in a way. That was the argument they were making to reporters behind the scenes yeah. over the last week. Yeah, exactly. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. And his long shot, his long shot political strategy was to essentially try to ex- push back this impeachment proceeding in the New York State Assembly as long as he could. That was the idea that if I just push this back that somehow, you know, I will be able to, he and his team would be able to muddle the accusations or something like that. And eventually he could get close enough to next year's election that there would be some kind of push to punt until then. That's, that's what it was. Yeah. I mean, when you put it that way, Brian, yes, it doesn't seem very like a very good strategy. Um, (laughs) but, 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 you know, having said that, I mean, I think it was like by time, by time, um, and, and, you know, who knows kind of what happens in the future, try to sort of see if you can work individual legislators into, into staving off impeachment. And, you know, one other thing you heard aides uh, say was, you know, it's not as if anybody here in, in Albany, well, somebody does, but there, a lot of people in Albany have kind of checkered pasts uh, around this stuff, especially those who've been there for a long time. And do they really want all that to be aired too? So there's a little bit of like a threat that if you want to come after me, you know, you can expect us to kind of air some of your dirty laundry as well. We always hear about this cadre of loyalists around Andrew Cuomo. Did you have any sense that they were shaken at all that that their faith in him or let's just say their commitment to defend him was shaken by the report that they read? 
I think that nobody could explain away the the trooper, the story of the trooper. I mean, I think that a lot of them thought, you know, some of these women's accusations were unfair, that these interactions were ambiguous, that, you know, that, that they had a story to tell. But I think the trooper really shook a lot of them uh, to their core, really surprised a lot of them, uh, frankly. Um, and, you know, it, it, like it's a really tough place to work, I think. Um, Andrew Cuomo's sort of inner circle and people kind of fall in it, fall out of it and then get back into it and fall out of it again with, with some regularity. Um, and I think at the end there, you know, I think people wanted to sort of see it through to the end. But everyone's very aware of the fact that the end was coming up pretty soon. Do you have a sense of how Joe Biden calling on Andrew Cuomo to resign? Andrew Cuomo, a Democratic Party guy, if there ever was one, how that landed in Albany? Honestly, I don't think it landed much at all. I think Andrew Cuomo was going to do what he was going to do. Um, and and, and the, the sort of state assembly, these you know local lawmakers kind of mattered a lot more. Uh, to Andrew Cuomo than Joe Biden. And, you know, think back in March. I mean, ninety-eight percent, ninety-nine percent of the Democratic establishment called for him to resign. Then, both senators from New York, Chuck Schumer and Kristen Gillibrand, called called him to resign. You know, almost every member of the congressional delegation called him called him to resign. Uh, elected leaders up and down the state called on him to resign. He didn't care at all for any of that. Um, and so then you added the few that were remaining, Joe Biden, a couple more members of Congress, um, you know, the head of the, the state Democratic Party. And he still didn't move. I mean, I think Andrew Cuomo was going to do what was best for Andrew Cuomo, what, what Andrew Cuomo wanted to do th- this whole time. And Joe Biden, state Democrats, national Democrats be damned. And it was, seems like a key figure was Carl Heasty. Am I saying his name right? Speaker of the New York State Assembly. Hasty, yeah. Um, hasty. Yeah, Carl. Yeah, hasty. I mean, that was he was sort of mattered more than Joe Biden because that was where the impeachment was going to begin. Um, the, the state Senate uh, here in New York, the, the upper chamber, they were already very anti Cuomo. I mean, it was hard to find state senators who supported him. Uh, the assembly is a much bigger body. Uh, I think there was a lot, it was a lot more sort of touch and go there. And I think Cuomo thought that if he could just at least keep uh, a majority, all the Republicans obviously were against him and wanted him to, to be impeached. But if you could keep a majority of the Democrats um, from from joining them, that maybe he would have a shot there. You know, they didn't want to do an impeachment with Republican votes kind of thing. Um, and in the end, you know, Carl Hasty pretty much never went quite as far as some other uh, politicians in the state, but, you know, also communicated that, that Andrew Cuomo's time is up. Who were his Democratic allies? that were left at this point? Andrew Cuomo's? Yeah. Uh, Going uh, back even to March, right? Because Schumer and Gillibrand were out in March. So did he have Democratic allies (laughs) at all in New York State? Um, By by the end, no one was really publicly coming out in favor uh, of Andrew Cuomo. I mean, you had a a few people... um, who were sort of saying, well, we need to see the evidence. Um, you know, if I'm in the assembly or if I'm in the state Senate, I'm going to be wearing, wearing you know, his impeachment. Um, but I, you know, so I, I can't say one thing or the other, but I don't think you met anyone who was going to defend him. I mean, for a while there were, you know, prominent members of 
the black community, the Hispanic community, uh, communities of color here in New York, who, who really did rally to his side back when these allegations first sort of were aired, you know, the beginning of the year. Um, by the end, though, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you wanted to be friends with Andrew Cuomo, you know, get a dog kind of thing. So, like, now it's just over a year ago, he was being hailed as a coronavirus hero. He gets paid millions of dollars to write this self-aggrandizing book. Now that you can see the full arc, or I guess most of the arc, unless he comes back and runs for something again, how do you look at this last year in the life of Andrew Cuomo? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I mean, because he was riding uh, high for so long. Um, and and it was, I think, for a lot of people, you know, a really calming presence at minimum during the height of the coronavirus uh, crisis, where, you know, no one quite knew what was coming. Hospitals were, were full. Uh, the president of the United States was saying all sorts of crazy stuff every day from the White House briefing room. And, and here was Andrew Cuomo kind of calmly telling the facts, here what was coming, here's what we know, here's what's happening next, um, here's what we need to do. Um, and, you know, and I think it's sort of tempting to kind of make this all into one story in a way, but I'm really, I'm really not sure that it is. I mean, this is about, you know, Andrew Cuomo's behavior that extends back from before this started, that extends back in some, by some, you know, instances and some allegations decades before. Um, so I don't think it, it really began with all of that. I mean, I think it, they sort of went on parallel tracks and then eventually collided. What do we know about Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul, who is about to become the next governor of New York? We don't know much. Um, she has been, she's a two-term, let me put it this way. I mean, we know as much about her as Andrew Cuomo seems to know about her, and we don't know much. Um, she's a one, was a one-term member of Congress uh, from Western New York, sort of Buffalo area. Um, been a two-term lieutenant governor. Uh, in that book you mentioned, she's not mentioned one time. Uh, when Cuomo thanked his aides at the end of his resignation speech today, he never even mentioned her. They have not spoken um, since February. They're not close, in other words. Uh, Cuomo kind of sends her to, you know, to kind of go out, travel around the state, talk to sort of small groups of voters, small media markets, little radio stations here and there. Um, and, you know, I think she's a moderate Democrat Um from a kind of, you know, forgotten corner of the state in a lot of ways, uh, who was by some accounts going to be dropped from the ticket when he ran for, for re-election to his third term uh, in 2018. Um, but now she's in charge. She has signaled that she wants to run for re-election um, on her own uh, next year. And we'll just have to see how she does. Also was uh, my eyes opened at this tweet from Ben Smith at the New York Times. He says, really incredible news for Eric Adams of course, just won the Democratic primary for mayor of New York. The new governor will need his support in two years, putting a New York mayor for the first time in years in a position to extract things from a governor. What do you think about the new relationship between New York's mayor and New York's governor? Yeah, I think, I think Ben's exactly right. I mean, and I think it's, it is really fascinating because the way it works here in, in, in New York is that, you know, the city is, is, is a ward of the state. So even though New York City mayor is in some ways the sort of second most prominent political job in America, there's not really a lot you can really do without permission from the state. And 
mayors from the beginning of time of New York have really been frustrated by having their agenda stymied by the state. Most famously, that happened with our current mayor, Bill de Blasio, and our still current governor, Andrew Cuomo. Uh, Cuomo seemed to delight in, in, in trashing all of de Blasio's initiatives. And I think what, what, what Ben was getting at there is that now there's this new dynamic where you have this really um, powerful and popular, in some ways, new mayor coming in, Eric Adams. And a lot of what the mayor needs to do is kind of move their agenda um, through the state. And it would be hard for Hochul to kind of deny Eric Adams uh, as he tries to get his agenda past the state. You see multiple candidates being in that Democratic primary, potentially running against Kathy Hochul? Well, um, that's a great question. Um, so I think the the person who everyone is looking at right now is um, uh, Letitia James, the attorney general, who, of course, you know, she helped bring Andrew Cuomo down over the last uh, week or so with the publication of that report. She was Andrew Cuomo's hand-picked uh, attorney general, ran on her own, but won with his support. Um, and were she to jump in the race, I think she would give Hochul a very hard time. Uh, she would be the first black female uh, governor uh, in any state. Um, she would have a lot of support in New York City, where most Democratic primary voters live. She would expect to do very well with unions, which she's very popular with, very well uh, with communities of color. Um, so, so she, I think, is who most people are, are looking at to, to challenge Hochul um, and has a very good chance of beating her. Should James not run for one reason or another, I think then it's a little bit who knows. Then you could have any number of candidates jumping in. Uh, Bill de Blasio may run, uh, a number of state lawmakers, members of Congress, uh, folks like that. Bill de Blasio running for governor. I saw I saw a poll today and it was like at minus 30 <laughs> and would be interested in supporting, not interested in supporting. But I guess stranger yeah, well, things have happened. Know, it seems like Bill unlikely. de Blasio running for president. Exactly. You, you stole the words out of my mouth. I mean, it's not it's not less likely than that somehow. This is ostensibly a media podcast. And my co-host, David Shoemaker, and I have been talking a lot about Chris Cuomo's role in the Andrew Cuomo scandal. Mm. Chris Cuomo, of course, primetime host on CNN. What what did you make of, of all of that? We, we heard a little bit of it. We saw some emails or at least one email in Letitia James's report. What do you think of Chris Cuomo's role in this whole scandal? You know, I mean, um, look, I mean, obviously, like, blood is thicker than water, as we know, right? And and um, brothers are, are are close, and it's hard to turn your back on your family. I mean, I, what happened there is so, it just seems like so beyond inappropriate uh, that to have the host of a, of a cable network news show uh, delivering advice and, and counseling um, a, a politician. Um, and I don't know what's going to happen with that. But, I, but that's a real problem. I mean, it, it's, it's sort of similar to, to Sean Hannity, right. Um, uh, you know, giving advice to Donald Trump and all the other Fox news hosts, except of course that CNN prides itself on playing it straight. Um, and you know, they, they would have uh, Andrew Cuomo on Chris Cuomo's show at the height of the pandemic. And they did this like kind of fun, brother act right where call mom no you call mom mom loves me best no mom loves me best kind of thing and it was kind of like funny and charming but but like how that was allowed to happen just seems it, it's mystifying i mean i just can't even i can't get my head around it you have a new piece for new york magazine coming out soon about all this i do i mean sort of looking at the next step especially the sort of tish james kathy hochel um 
dynamic and I'm sure there'll be many, many more pieces to come. There always is in New York, David. Yes. There's always there's always something getting everyone's attention, even people like me who don't live in New York. It just seems yeah. to be our national sport along with uh, football is New York politics. <laughs> so, sorry about that. <laughs> you could read David Friedlander in New York Magazine. I am Brian Curtis, production magic by Erica Cervantes. We are back soon with more lukewarm takes about the media. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.